Hi, it's me again. Okay, so uh, we're going through the book of Luke, and we're in chapter 8. We're camping out there for this whole series. And uh, today we're going to be looking at a latter part of the book of Luke. And by the way, if this is your first time with us, we have a whole, ser- whole series of sermons leading up to this, so you can just catch it online for free. Um, but today we're looking at this verse right here, Luke chapter 8, the second half of verse 42 to verse 48. And today we're going to be looking at some interesting themes, and there's going to be a lot of cultural context, so in case you're like a Bible nerd, then this will be good for you. Um, But for everybody else, just try to keep up because I'm going to throw a lot of stuff into your brains today. Okay, so um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, but before we get there, and by the way, Luke chapter 8 happens later in the Bible, okay? And so there's a whole section called the Old Testament before that that we need to talk about. And because what happens in Luke chapter 8 is a culmination of all these different things that happen in the Old Testament. So I'm going to spend maybe a third of our time talking about the Old Testament, and then we'll start talking about Luke 8, about that part in the sermon. So um, I'm going to start us off by looking at the book of Numbers, because, you know, Numbers is where we all want to start. So here we go, Numbers chapter 15. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corner of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. Now, let me set the context here. So these people called the Israelites, okay, they were slaves in Egypt. And these people would live there for a long, long time, and they haven't heard from God for a very long, long time. And because they were treated as slaves and they had to work seven days a week and they didn't have much time for themselves, not even time to worship their own God, they were like, we need to find a way to get them out. And so Moses shows up and pulls all these people out of Egypt, and they're in the middle of a desert right now, okay, because that's what's outside of Egypt is a desert. And as they're in the desert, God realizes, okay, that it was not that bad. It only took 10 plagues to get these people out of Egypt, but it was actually a lot harder to get Egypt out of them. They've been taught these things, and, and they've accustomed themselves to, to this way of living that God didn't really approve of. And they're like, you know what? I have a plan for you guys. I have a plan to use you guys to do something amazing in the world, to bring people together, to unify the world, to, to bring heaven on earth, to do amazing things. But I can't do it with you guys right now because you guys are living in destructive ways. And so God gives them what we call the Torah. Have you heard the word Torah? Say Torah. Torah. That's basically the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And in them are packed these 600 plus laws that the Bible says, this is how you ought to live. Now, these laws were given specifically to these people. But here's the deal. A lot of times, habit, if you live your way a certain way, eventually your old habit starts to creep back in, and you don't even know that's crept back in, right? And I'm sure some of you guys could relate to that. And so, as a way to know what you're supposed to do, like just to be a reminder to you, like in case, like, oh, I forgot about that law, God says, I want you to make a tassel on the corners of the, of the garment that you wear. Okay, and this, let's read on. This is what it says. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord. So this is how you remember, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. So he's not talking about prostitution in terms of like, ooh, look at that person. Ooh, I want, you know, I want that. I like what I see. I want to go after that. That's not what they're talking about here. If you look at the whole of the Old Testament, you find out that as a nation, the Israelites, these people, they have a tendency of saying, okay, I want to worship my God because my God is the one that I love. You know, he's the one that rescued us from Egypt. He's rescued me from slavery. But that God over there, <laughs> they promise prosperity. I'm going to go over there, you know. Or, oh, look over there. Oh, look at that goddess. That goddess does this for me. <laughs> right? And they keep getting lured left and right. And so God says, the best way to know how to stay on a straight path 
is, well, maybe some visuals will help you. So he says, you're, I want you to make these tassels on the corner of your garments, and whenever you feel like you're straying, that tassel is going to be a reminder to you, right, that you are actually a person who's supposed to obey the commands of our God, not the commands of some other God. And so these people, they're looking at what they're wearing. They're like, I guess we'll start making tassels in the corner of our garments. But they're like, no, 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 no. We should just make a garment that's specifically made for this. And so they created this thing called a talit. A talit. That's how you write it in the Hebrew, talit. Can you say talit? talit. You're going to learn three Hebrew words today. Talit is the first one, okay? Talit. Talit is basically this. It's actually a prayer shawl. Prayer shawl. So I want to show you. I have a fake one here. This is a prayer shawl. Now, if you remember the, com the commands that was in the book of Numbers, it says that you're supposed to have tassels on the corner, right? And it's supposed to be made out of blue. You see, this is not made out of blue. And the reason it's not made out of blue, and this is just free information, it has nothing to do with the sermon today. The reason why it was, it's not blue nowadays, and you'll probably see people wearing this, and they're not, it's not blue either, is because the way that they were supposed to dye it blue was by using a specific shellfish or amphibian. We don't know exactly what it is, but there was a time when they almost went extinct, whatever this, or this species is that dyed it blue, okay? And because they said, okay, let's stop doing it because they're almost extinct, and after a while, they forgot what that animal was. So they're like, we don't want to offend God by using the wrong animal, the wrong species. So by the time they started to re decide to reinstate it, they were like, we don't know what it is, and we don't want to offend God, so let's not, just, let's not do it. So instead, let's put blue in the talit itself. That's why it's like this, okay? Now, the way they wear this, okay, this one is like updated because it has like, there's a blessing right here, right? This is the Shema. Shema is, is a prayer, that, there's a blessing prayer that says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. They put it over their heads like this, and they would do this, and when they pray, now, you know how some of you guys close your eyes when you pray? You guys do that? Well, for them, they would actually, and it helps you concentrate. By the way, there's nothing in the Bible that says close your eyes when you pray, just so you guys know. You guys are all unbiblical when you pray. <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, I'm not kidding, but, you know. Okay, what they do is they cover themselves, and they put themselves in this thing called a prayer, they call this a prayer closet. They cover themselves like this so that they could concentrate on what they're praying about. This is what they felt like was the most holiest time of their day. When they covered themselves, they wrapped themselves in the talit. Now, if you look over here, do you see how this side, this, this he, the, the edge right here? This edge right here is called the kanaf. Kanaf. Can you say kanaf? The second word. Kanaf. Kanaf is, is the edge of the talit. Okay? Now, if you look carefully, does it remind you of something? It looks like feathers from a wing. So the word kanaf actually translates to the word wing. So kanaf is wing. And by the way, when people wore this, they wore it like this usually. And by the way, before you put it on, they would usually pray a blessing as they put it on, and they kiss the, the top part five times before they do it. But anyways, I didn't do it, but okay. Right? But you can imagine as people walked around, it looked like wings. Do you see that? So that's why this is called a kanaf. This part is called kanaf. Now, there, is a, there are many verses in the Bible that talk about the kanaf. And because we don't speak Hebrew, we don't really understand when the writer is using the word kanaf. But I'll show you one example. This is from Psalm 17. It says this, keep me as, this is the psalmist asking God, it says, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked ones, uh, wicked who are out to destroy me, from the mortal enemies who surround me. Now, the shadow of your wings, this is what that means. The safest place to be, let's just say my son is crying or my daughter needs some hugs or whatever, the safest place to be is in the shadow of my wings. 
So people said, if I want to be in a safe place, what I want to do is I want to be in the shadow of God's wings. Does that make sense? So do you see how this influenced some of the imageries of the, of, of the people who live in the biblical times? Okay, now let's get to the tassels. These tassels here, it's called a zitzit. This is how you spell zitzit. Okay, I know, my wife kept on saying, isn't that a kind of yogurt dressing for, for the Greek Mediterranean? What is that called? Tzatziki. Okay, that's, that's close. So this is a yogurt tassel. Um, oops, I'm stepping on it. Okay. Now, if you look carefully, this is supposed to be blue, but it's not, remember. There's five knots here. And these five knots is the reminder to them of the five books of the Torah. So whenever they feel tempted, whenever they feel like they're kind of starting to sway from the way that, that God has called them to live, they grab onto the tassel, the tzitzit, and they look at it to be reminded of the five books of the Old Testament, the five books of the Torah. So they look at it and say, oh, this is going to help me overcome temptation. Now, if you're like, well, I've been hanging out with some Jewish people, and I don't see them wearing this, it's because they have something else to replace this, and that's what, this is what that looks like. They wear like an undergarment. They wear it underneath, and they have these tassels hanging from the edge, and technically... This doesn't contradict the passage in Numbers, so that's why they do it that way, because it's a lot less, it doesn't stand out as much in public, I guess, right? And so people do this. And now, as you can imagine, the most important part of this, this prayer shawl, the, the talit, is the tzitzit, because this is the thing that God has specifically asked them to do, right here, okay? And so this became almost like the livelihood of a human being. So, for example, when people die in the Jewish culture, they wrap them up in a talit, but they cut off the tzitzit. Why do they do that? Because they're basically saying, you are now wrapped in the holiness of God, okay? And you have fulfilled the law that God has called you to do. You don't have to live according to them anymore, so they cut it off. But at the same time, people also cut it off when people are like, you have fallen so far away from the ways of God that you don't even live by the law anymore, and they cut it off. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, there's a king named King Saul, and King Saul is out to try to kill this kid named David. And they go into hiding, and it just so happens that King Saul hides in the same cave that King David is hiding, and David's further in the cave, and so he's looking to see if Saul sees him, and Saul doesn't notice that David is there. Do you guys know this story? Okay, and so, so David's looking from afar with his friends, and he's like, oh no, Saul sees us. No, he doesn't see us. What is he doing? And he kneels down, pulls down his pants, and he starts to relieve himself. And so his friend's like, David, now's your chance to kill him because he's been trying to kill you. Your nightmares are over if you just kill him right now. And David sneaks up behind him with a big knife. And then as he approaches, he realizes that it's not right to kill. So what does he do instead? It says that he cuts off the corner of his garment. He cuts off the corner of King Saul's garment to basically say, like, you are no longer a person of the law. That, so you see how this is so close to, to this is so important to, a, to an average Jewish, at the time it was a male thing, now we, women can do this too. Okay, so in other words, the corner of this garment, let's look at this, was the reminder of the mission of God. God has called you to live a certain way. God calls you to do certain things, right? And whenever you feel like you're straying from it, you always look at this and say, oh, I gotta be reminded, this is what God called me to do. Okay, now there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that talks about this. Okay, so I want to show you that. This is the book of Malachi. 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 I don't know how you pronounce it, but Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. This is the end of chapter 4. Now, let me set the context for you of what's happening here. So there's a group of people called the Jews who live in Israel, but they weren't doing exactly as God called them to be. Okay, so God is like, I want you to be a certain way so that you could go and bless the world. 
I want you to go into the world and love them, bring people together so you can point everybody back to the, to the one true God. That's what I want you to do. But for some reason, they keep messing up. A lot of people think that it's because of pride. They're like, oh yeah, we're God's children. We're God's people. There's no way that God's going to judge us. He's going to keep blessing us. You know, that's, that's the whole thought process in the Old Testament, right? And so at one point, God's like, if you keep doing that, if you keep living like that, I'm going to, you know, lay down the law on you guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a time out. And they're like, you're not going to do that to us because we're your people. Why would you do that to us? We're your people. And eventually God's like, fine. And he basically says, okay, then there's going to be this other group of people who are going to come into your land and take some of your people away. And so the Babylonians came in, took the people away, and now they're living in exile. But there's still a few people who still stayed in Israel, in Jerusalem, the main city of Israel, okay? And these people, living the small group that they are, they were just trying to live according to the law as much as possible. And one day, God said, now it's time for you guys to come back. So now we have the people who lived here for a long time and the people who are away, but now are coming back. So we have two groups of Jewish people who are living in the same city. And as they came back, there was a time of celebration. Like, yeah, everybody's back. Let's, let's party. Let's, let's worship God. Let's be the people that God called us to be. Yeah, let's do that. But it didn't go as smooth as they expected. Because what happened was that these new people who moved in, they started living with themselves at the center of the world. And what I mean by that is, if it means that we could be comfortable, let's ignore the people who need our help. There's widows. Yeah, let's not worry about them. Oh, there's, there's, there's people who are sick. Uh, let's just keep them to the side because we don't want them to ruin our holiness. You know? Oh, there's foreigners. Uh, let's keep them to the side too because we want to be pure. And it's in that context that Malachi the prophet writes this. This is what he says. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Now, a lot of people take this verse out of context. This is not God saying, I'm going to destroy all the evil people of the world. That's not what he's saying here. He's specifically talking about the people who are the people of God who are living in a city called Jerusalem, who are not living according to the way they're supposed to. God wants to use them to make the world a better place, but instead, they're making their own city corrupt, right? So, so God is looking at them saying, guys, if you, can, if you keep this up, one day, I'm going to send somebody there that's going to take, take all the wrong things and set it right. And when that happens, the people who are living in the wrong way are going to feel so uncomfortable. It's like somebody giving you candy and anything you want for the whole, your whole life, and then somebody comes to you and says, one day, mom and dad are going to come and give you vegetables. And you're like, oh, no, please, <laughs> right? And here you are, the person in your family, that one sibling that likes to eat vegetables, is like, yes, that's going to be so cool, but everybody else is like, no, no, I don't want it, right? That's what's happening here, because he's like, if you have been living in the wrong way, when God comes in, sets everything right, flips everything upside down, you're going to feel so uncomfortable, well, what about the people who are doing things right? This is what he says about that. But for you who revere my name, the people who are living according to the way that God calls you to live, the son of righteousness, which is code for the Messiah, right, will rise with healing in his, and the word that they use here is the word kanaf. If you are living according to the way that God has called you to, you will find healing in the kanaf of the son of righteousness. Now, for those of you who use the NIV version, this is weird because there's different versions, translations of the Bible. In every translation in the entire world, except for the NIV, 
they translate that word as wing. NIV, for some reason, yours says ray. And that's the only time that the word kanaf is translated as ray. It's there, so I don't think it's right. Anyways, okay. So there's a prophecy that happens at the end of the Old Testament. By the way, this is the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. So the very end of the Old Testament, there's a prophecy that says one day there's going to be somebody who's going to come to your neighborhood that's going to set things right. And when that happens, the people who are living in the wrong way are going to feel really uncomfortable. But the people who are living right, they're going to find healing in the wings of the Messiah. Okay, now let's jump to Luke chapter 8. As Jesus was on his way, because he was on his way teaching, right, the crowds almost crushed him. So Jesus is walking, and there's a whole crowd around him, bumping into him. You don't want to go down in history as the guy who crushed the Messiah. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So there's a woman who's been bleeding for a very long time, okay? And this is actually one of those menstrual things. But and, and in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, it says that if you're having a period, if you're going through a menstrual cycle, you are not to touch certain people and certain things. So people don't want to be around her. But the problem here is it doesn't happen once a month. It happens all the time for 12 years. So you could imagine that this woman has been alone for a very long time because the heart of the Jewish person would be this obsession with being pure. So they would make sure that, like, if you are bleeding for that long, I do not want to be around you. As a matter of fact, if she is in your family, you would probably want to isolate her from your own family. So she was probably disowned from her family at this point in the story. Twelve years, very long time. Okay, now this story takes place in Luke chapter 8, but this story is mentioned in two other places in the Bible, the book of Matthew and the book of Mark. Now we're looking at the book of Mark right now because this gives us a little more information as to what she went through. Mark chapter 5. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So what she did was, with all the money that she had, okay, she spent it on doctors and whoever else she thought she could, that could heal her, and instead of things getting better, it got worse because not only is she still bleeding, right, she's now also poor. The only thing that a woman had back then was her positions because she didn't have worth in herself. Jesus came and changed that, but before Jesus, you know, did his thing, a woman didn't really have value except for the person she was married to or the positions that she had. In this case, because she's alone, because she's unclean, she had nobody, right? And the positions that she had, she gave it all away or spent it all because she wanted to get better, and she didn't get better. Instead, she got worse. So that's the setting that we're talking about here. So let's go back to the book of Luke, chapter 8, starting verse 44. She came up behind him, that's Jesus, and touched the, what does it say? edge of his cloak, which would be the kanaf or the talit, okay? And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all, next verse, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, Captain Obvious says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power, uh, I know that power has gone out of me. So Jesus stops. Now, by the way, because he's being crushed on all sides, everybody's been touching him. So it's obviously not touching that causes to happen. It was the person who touched them that causes to happen. So what was going on here? And Jesus, why is Jesus so obsessed in finding out who this person is? Let's go on. Then the woman, seeing that she could not get, go unnoticed, because Jesus would not give up, right, came trembling and fell at his feet. Now just imagine at this point, there's a crowd and somebody's like, Jesus is like, who touched me? Who touched me? I'm not going to give up until I find out who touched me, right? And when she realized, okay, he's not going to give up, he's like, it was me, Jesus. It was me. And everybody looks at her and realizes that she's a lady that's been bleeding for 12 years. 
Imagine what the crowd did immediately because they don't want to be in contact with her. They probably made this big circle around her. And now that Jesus was touched, there's a big circle around him too. They're like, ooh, we don't want to touch Jesus or this woman, right? In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Now, here's an interesting thing. In the book of Luke, it says, I'm going to tell you why I touched you, but Luke doesn't transcribe for us the reason why she touched him. It's because Luke is assuming that we know the Old Testament. Luke is assuming that we understand Luke chapter, I mean, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. What he's saying is this. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi chapter 4, that says that the righteous, the people who are doing exactly what God called them to do, when they touch that, that when they get to the wing of the Son of God, the Son of Righteousness, there, there will be healing. In other words, this woman was going up to Jesus and touching him because he, she knew his identity and his mission. In other words, Jesus is there saying, who touched me because I just realized somebody in this crowd, there's somebody here that just touched me that knows who I really am. Everybody else who is crushing and touching Jesus and you know all that stuff, all these people... They know Jesus as a, as a rabbi, as a teacher, but they don't know that he's the Messiah. He, no one in the crowd except for this woman knows that he is the one that's been prophesied in the book of Malachi. This woman is like, I know exactly who he is. I need to touch his wings. I need to touch his talit. I need to touch that, that prayer shawl because I know, according to Malachi 4, I'm going to find comfort in it. The woman knew that when she saw Jesus, that he was the prophesied one. She knew that he is the one of God that is love. She knew that when she looked at him, that he was the one that was here to turn the wrong things in this world and make it right. Nobody else in the crowd knew that except for her. And that's why when he, she touched him, he was like, somebody just touched me. I just felt it. Somebody here knows that I'm the Messiah. Somebody knows that I'm here to take the corruptness of Jerusalem and make it right. Now, in the next part is really interesting. Jesus' first words that comes out of his mouth is a word that he has not used on anybody else except for this woman. It's a word that is only used this one time and nowhere else in the Gospels do you see Jesus calling anybody this. And this is why this one word is so special. He says this, Then he said to this woman, Daughter. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus never calls anybody daughter except for this part in the Bible. He probably said it other times, but that's, that's the only time it's recorded for us. And what is, Jesus, what, what is Luke trying to point out to us here? He's saying, you have been alone for such a long time. And because people perceive you as being impure, people have left you alone, well, I'm going to call you daughter. I'm going to reach out to you and say, you are family. I'm not going to abandon you. And Jesus goes on. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith in understanding who I am and what my mission is, that is what healed you. Go in peace. Now, the word peace here is the word shalom in the Hebrew. Peace doesn't mean like, like oh, everything, you know, like there's no war, there's no more conflict. The word shalom means everything that could be wrong is exactly the way it's supposed to be now. Everything is right now. There's peace in your heart. There's no more conflict. It's not that you're not wrong anymore. Everything is right in you now. Now, so go and live as if that's true. You see, what we learn from this is this, is that God wants to comfort you in the shadow of his wings through faith. Are you going through a tough time right now? Are you seeking comfort? 
Are you in a place where you're like, gosh, I really wish this pain could just be just taken from me? What Jesus says here is, if you come to me, I will put you in the shadow of your wings. He's like, I'm not going to solve all your problems for you. Now keep in mind, the system was corrupt to the point where this woman who was sick, because of the way the system was set up, a person who's sick is now pushed aside in society, right? What Malachi observed 400 years ago is actually still happening in the story, right? And because the system that was set up, she was being pushed out. And Jesus comes and says, I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to put you under my wings. I can't take away the pain of your hearts, not right now. I can't fix the system right now, not right now. But I would love to bring you under my wings and comfort you. This is the imagery that came to the mind of the people who read this for the first time in the first century. Because the people who read this in the first century when Luke was written, people already understood the Old Testament. People understood how the Old Testament, you know, um, the imageries of the Old Testament that pointed everybody to this real, one, one act that Jesus did. So when Jesus did the, what, he, what he did, when he turned to him and said, daughter, everybody all of a sudden in their minds were thinking, wow, the prophecy in, in, in chapter 4 of Malachi is coming true right now, right here. So if you are in a place of pain and you go to God, God would probably look at you and say, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. I want you in my family. I'll protect you. And I hope that you find healing in my wings. But let's just say at this point, you're like, well, I'm actually not going through any kind of trial right now. I'm actually comfortable where I am, right? I, you know, this is a great sermon. This is a great message that Jesus has for all of us, but I'm not really in that state right now. I'm, I, I'm actually just fine. If that's you, then maybe we should look at it more from Jesus' perspective. Now, if you notice what Jesus did here, it's really interesting. The prophecy says that when Jesus shows up, he's going to take the wrongs and he's going to flip it upside down and make it right. And the people who are living the wrong way are going to be the ones who can feel really uncomfortable. And the people who are living right are the ones who can find healing, right? Now, let me ask you this. At this point in the story, did Jesus take the wrongs of, of, of Judaism at the time and flip it upside down? No, that doesn't happen until a lot later in the story, right? It's almost like this. You notice that there's poverty in this world. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to go tomorrow and protest, and I'm going to do something to change the system. Or you see racism that's happening all over the place. And you're like, you know what? That's wrong. I'm going to go out and change the system right? But here, Jesus, before he changes the system, he goes to the person who are people who are victims and shows comfort to them. Does that make sense? He, yes, changing the entire system is very important, yes, but his priority goes to the hearts of the people who are affected by it. So the second point I want to make is this. God wants to offer comfort to those, God, God wants you to offer comfort to those who are suffering from injustice, you look at the work that's ahead of you, right? First, you, you look at it and say, wow, there's so much work to do to fix the system, the brokenness of, of, of our government or, or whatever organization you like to point your finger at. And yeah, okay, that, there is a lot to do. And yes, you should vote. You should do everything you can to help fix the system. But in the meantime, we should be going to the individuals. You're like, oh gosh, there's so much racism. Well, okay, if that's the case, then maybe the first step we should take is go befriend somebody who is not like you. Invite somebody to dinner. Or maybe if you're like, oh yeah, there's so much poverty in this world, we've got to fix the system, the housing thing, and all that kind of stuff. Like, okay, if, that's, if that's where your heart is, then start off by saying, hey, I want to invite this one person into my life, this one homeless person, and maybe we can share a meal every Wednesday and get to know the person. Have you ever actually talked to a homeless person before? <laughs> they usually say this. They say that the one thing they miss the most is a genuine conversation. 
There's so much wrong in this world. But when we look at Jesus' example, what we discover is this, is that before fixing the system, he treats the person that's been affected by it. So there's two sides to this story. There's a side of the woman. If you are hurt like her, if you feel like the injustice has been done to you, find healing in the wings of the rabbi Jesus, our Lord. If you are a person who feels like, no, I'm actually not hurting right now, I'm okay, then let's be like Jesus. Let's go and comfort the people who are victims of the injustice that you see around you. And I love the fact that he calls, him da- calls, her, calls her daughter because there's this sense of reliance that's taking place there. Now, as a father of two little kids right now, I love it when I've realized that when, like, when they come to me and they act like I could solve all, the, all their problems and I know I can't, like, there's, there's certain things I can't solve, right? Like, for example, if they come to me and says, look, um, I can't fit this square into this circle, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I got this, don't worry, kids, I got this. And you're like, you put it in the square, in the square, you put the circle in the circle, like, yeah, daddy time, right? Respect me, right? That's, right? <laughs> There's certain things I can fix, okay? But there are certain things I can't. Like, if, if my son wakes up in the middle of the night with night terrors, he's like, ah, the nightmares. I'm like, I can't do anything about that, right? But he comes to me as if I can. Like, just because I'm in the room with him, he thinks, like, everything's okay now. Here's the thing, is that I know I, know I can't do anything about it, right? But I know that the reliance that he has on me, knowing this, this, that he has this complete trust in me, that as long as daddy's in the room, everything's going to be okay, Though that's the kind of faith that I get from my kids that it makes me feel so good. It makes me feel bad later on because I know I can't do anything about it, but at the time it makes me feel so good. But here's the thing. God could do all things. And if you're in a place where you're like, gosh, I just need somebody to love me. I, need, I feel like I'm pushed to the side. I feel I'm so alone. And God says, I can do something about that. Oh, what are you going to do, God? I'm going to call you son. I'm going to call you daughter. I'm going to let you know that I'm not gonna, never going to leave your side that I'm going to love you with the greatest love that humanity has ever known. And that's why it's so powerful that he calls her daughter. He's been alone for 12 years and now is completely poor. And that one statement changed everything. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray.